Well, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. I'm going to ask that you turn to the third book of the New Testament, Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. And I thought I'd do a little quiz this morning. The Big Ten, the Top Ten, the Ten Commandments. You familiar with those? What do you think would be the big ones? If you're going to have to distill it down to one or two or three, what would be uh, your choice in those Ten Commandments? Ready? Holler it out for me. One, two, three, go. Let me know. All right. Sounded like murmuring to me. No other gods have got to be up there, doesn't it? Yeah. How about don't murder? Did anyone say that's a pretty big one, at least in my life? I would like to appropriate that to my life. Maybe commit adultery, don't do that, or don't steal. I don't know if I heard it, but uh, there's one that's often overlooked. It's the last one. Do you know what the Tenth Commandment is? Thou shalt not covet. Someone got it right. It's often overlooked. We don't want to mess with it. Get, that gets a little personal. That's not always an outward thing like stealing or like uh, murder, but it's an inward thing. But the Tenth Commandment greatly affects, in my opinion, the other nine. So let me ask you a few pointed questions just to get everyone awake, fire you up. You're going to get fired up, and that's okay. I want to grab your attention this morning, and uh, we, we've got a sermon, I think, that's going to really land in our laps, if you know what I mean. So here's the first pointed question. Do I really need that vacation home? Don't answer out loud. Here's another one. Do I really even need that dream home that I've been dreaming about? I'm getting some of you fired up, aren't I? Here's another question. Do I really need that vehicle? Ouch. How about this one? Do I really need another vehicle? I got one. It's pretty good. And the last one, in case I didn't get any of you, is this. Do I really need the latest you fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. That's a tough one. That hits me. I've been looking at barbecue grills. Whew. I'm holding out. Mine's getting ready to go. When it explodes, then I will need one. But do I really need the latest and greatest whatever it is? I want you to think about that this morning as we read Luke 12, 13 through 21. Let's read the scripture now. Someone from the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And then Jesus told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. And you remember what a parable is, right? It's a story that Jesus uses for the express purpose of teaching and so he's going to be teaching us today. Let's look at that parable in verse 16. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Or some of us learned it, eat, drink, and be merry. Look at verses 20 and 21. Ouch. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And you know the parables, they always have that teaching moment. Let me read verse 21 again. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. God, speak to us from your word today. Open our hearts and our minds and our, our ears and our eyes. Lord, help us to release the baggage that we might have come in with today and focus on what you are teaching, not just to the people at that moment, but to us right now in 2023 here at Hoppintown. Speak to us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. I had fully prepared. I don't know if you know, but I work on a preaching calendar out a little ways. David is grateful for that. 
So, I, you know, this idea of just figuring out something on Saturday night, no. God is the God of order and worship, and He works in our lives. And I had fully planned on this Sunday to finish up the best sermon ever. You remember that, what we were doing? Some of y'all been wondering. We did Matthew 5 and 6, but we didn't get to 7. That's next week because the Lord really got a hold of me. I was rereading a, a book called, that John Piper wrote. It's called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. Man, that is a good book for preachers and pastors. That we don't think we're a CEO or a professional. Yes, we have education. Yes, we have experience. But, but that's not it. We're, we're shepherds. We're pastors. And so uh, I was reading that, and I got to the section. I can't remember the exact title of it, but it's basically gold versus copper. And he made the idea that copper's okay. You don't always have to have everything gold. And it really hit me, and I began week after week thinking about that, and the Lord wouldn't let it go, so you get stuck with this sermon today. Are you okay with it? All right. So let's jump in. In verses 13 through 15, the first point is this, covetousness. It's a real problem. You see, it's not an abstract theory. It's not something that might be out there just in principle covetousness for most Christians is a real problem. And we see in verses 13 through 15 that Jesus is in the middle of teaching. He's been doing these teachings about life in the kingdom. And all of a sudden, a guy interrupts with a request. I don't think this man realized that his request, his case, if you will, it really wasn't that urgent. But as some of us have been known to do, he just interrupts he, and basically sticks his foot in his mouth and interrupts Jesus' teaching. Of course, Jesus is Jesus. He is the master teacher, and he pivots with a parable. But let's look at what leads up to the parable. In verse 13, we see what I call an order. It, it's as if he gives Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he gives him an order. Do you see it? Look at verse 13. He says, teacher. Now, that's the first thing we need to note. He calls Jesus teacher. That's a good thing. The term occurs 58 times in the New Testament, 48 times in the Gospels, and 41 times referring directly to Jesus. Maybe it will help you if you'd like to think rabbi. You could think that today when he says that. Okay. That fits the context of the culture of the time. You see, rabbis in that time were expected to help settle legal matters. Did you know that? Wouldn't that be awesome? Instead of going to court, just come see me? <laughs> Maybe not. Especially if it's like Solomon, right? You bring the baby and what? Yeah, oh, yeah, no thank you, all right? We go all the way back. Remember Moses? Remember his father-in-law said, man, you need help. You can't just do all this. But in the culture of this time, right here in Jesus' time, they were expected to help settle legal matters. And disputes over family inheritance came up, just like they might today. And they were normally handled by them. But this is a little different, as we find out in reading this. Jesus is going a different way with this. I mean, he's in the middle of teaching about life in the kingdom. He's not going to just stop with everyone and deal with this guy's request, his order his command really or maybe he is so he says teacher and then look what he says our English doesn't do it justice he says tell my brother well we know from the biblical language that tell is an imperative what does that mean it means it's a command really we could define it this way it means to utter definitive words so it's just not like hey would you tell my bro this no it's like would you Nail him. Would you zap him with your words? Be definitive. And he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, we know according to Jewish, Jewish laws, you can go back to Deuteronomy. Anybody read the book of Deuteronomy recently? Actually, some of you have. That I wasn't expecting that. All right. Yes, I did earlier in the year, and I was glad when I got through it. Oh, yeah, 2117 specifically states that two-thirds of the inheritance goes to the elder son and one-third goes to the younger son. If you don't like that, don't write me. That's what they did back then. The Bible says it. That's just how it was. So we, we know here, this is the younger brother speaking. 
okay? And uh, something to think about that maybe seems confusing is this. Often when there was this two-thirds or one-thirds, they would have to work together. Does that make sense? Because often the inheritance was the land. That's what they had. And they wanted to keep it together and keep it in the family. So lots of times they would have to live together, work together to keep the land intact. But for some reason, the younger brother wants to get his share and he wants to be independent. Reminds me a little bit of, remember another parable? The prodigal son? Yeah, so for whatever reason, he wants to kind of break it apart. And it's clear, obviously, because of this request, this command he's giving to Jesus, is that the elder brother must have refused the request. We can say that there is an issue. And here's what I want you to get today. Listen closely. It's not about topography. It's not about acreage. It's not about grandma's china. The issue here, and Jesus speaks to, is, is the issue related to greed or the biblical word covetousness. So that's the order. Look at verse 14. Then we get the question. Jesus responds to him with a question. He says, friend, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Why did Jesus respond with a question? Why did Jesus decline to get involved? He knew that no answer would solve the real problem. Do you see that? He knows the real problem. Jesus sees right into the heart. He sees what the real problem is. And he knows that the, the answer, it, it wasn't about this inheritance. It was about greed or covetousness. That's the real problem. And it's covetousness in the hearts of both brothers. Well, how do you know that, Lamar? Well, look at verse 14. If you study, it says, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? You is plural. Both the guys are there. Both the guys are getting ready to hear this parable. You see, they were greedy, both of them. No arbitration would satisfy their greed. They had a bigger need. They needed heart change. Isn't that usually the case? Most of the time, it's a symptom of what's going on in our life, isn't it? But what we need is heart change. We need life change, and they needed that. You see, they needed salvation that Jesus could provide. Amen? Don't we all? They needed that salvation. Jesus is teaching on the life and the kingdom over and over and over, and this interruption comes. But uh, instead, they wanted Jesus to serve them. I don't want to talk about salvation. Serve me. I order you. I command you. Would you just tell him this? And I would say this today, church. Many today are the same way. Oh, not me, Lamar. Maybe not. Don't look at the person next to you, please, okay? But think about that for a minute. There's a little bit of that in many of us today, if you really think about it. You see, even Christians, many today, many today don't see what Jesus is truly offering us. What is Jesus truly offering us today? It's called the abundant life. It's a life that he's planned for us. We know in Ephesians 2.10 that he planned, after we become Christians, the grace of God comes over us. We are forgiven. We are saved. He has these good works that he applied plan like I like to say it before you were ever a twinkle in your mama's eye he planned these things for for us to do the abundant life but we don't see that sometimes why because we're blinded what are we blinded by we're blinded by greed and I would ask you can you see the abundant life today are you having trouble seeing that today the abundant life Jesus is offering you today abundant life if you're having trouble with that, it means something is kind of blinding you, and perhaps it's greed or covetousness. So we have the order that's given, the question, Jesus responds, and then comes the principle. You may want to put a star on verse 15 in your Bible, and remember that this is the principle. Jesus provides the brothers and the crowd. They're still there. Okay? Back in 14, we see... Um, He's called friend. Maybe you have a different word in your translation. Maybe you have man. Actually, what that word means is he calls them human being. Okay, it's, This is applicable to all the humans. 
that are listening, to all the humans that would read this sacred text, even today as we are doing, okay? So, so he provides all of them, but the brothers specifically with what I call a once and for all principle to follow. What does that mean, once and for all? It means it's not just good in their culture. It's good in our culture. It's not just good when Jesus was roaming the earth. No, it's good right now for us. And look at what it says. In my version, it says, um, he told them, maybe you have the word tell or tells. Interesting. It's the same word that was used in verse 13 when this guy says, tell my brother. Give a definitive utterance. And now Jesus is giving the definitive utterance to them and we should take heed let's look at it verse 15 he starts out with the principle he says watch out that's always a good thing to do isn't it amen whatever you're doing watch out that's another imperative so now Jesus is giving a command here's his command watch out well what does watch out mean this biblical word means to perceive with the eyes to look at but it's more than that. It's not just the guard on the wall looking with his eyes or with his night vision goggles or with his binoculars. No, what it means is you, you look at, but implying not the mere act of seeing, but also the actual perception of something. You see and you perceive. Have you ever done that? Any parents in here today? Have you ever seen what's going on with that child? And you don't just go, oh, they're doing that. But you perceive something else is going on here. I better get in and deal with it. Right? This is what's going on here. He says, watch out. But then look what else he says in this once and for all principle. He says, and be on guard. Well, what does that mean? That means to keep or preserve something in safety. So it's not just seeing it, perceiving it, per having perception for it but it's keeping it preserving it in safety so what we have here from Jesus is kind of unique right out he doesn't just give a warning in this principle he gives a double warning did you see it they're different watch out and be on guard it's a double warning you know what happens when we see a double warning from Jesus hey Lamar I should really pay attention to this so it's a warning about what it's a warning about greed. Look at it again, verse 15. Watch out and be on guard against what kind of greed? All greed. You see that? It's all greed. It's not some. Well, I'm not greedy like that guy. Well, I don't have that. Wait a minute. It says all greed. You see, I've noticed a lot of Christians don't think they have a big issue with covetousness or greed. That's how I am until the Lord reveals to me, no, it's all greed. It's all of it. you got to work over here, this little part here, or you got to deal with this over here. Okay, maybe you're not just the greediest person in the world, but you got to deal with these things that might be right here, okay? Maybe today would you just consider that something is lurking somewhere in you that you have not dealt with yet. Maybe the Lord would reveal that to you today. Can I just say something? If the Lord reveals that to you today, don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. It is not my fault that the Lord is going to step on your toes. He's already stepped on mine, okay? If not, great. Come back next week. We'll try it again. So what is this covetousness? What is coveting? Coveting simply means this. Maybe you want to write it down because it's confusing for some people. It means, because it's not just always money. It can be other things. But it means wanting what doesn't belong to you. You good with that? Wanting what does not belong to you. It's not yours, or you have not purchased it, but you want it. You see how it could be all kinds of things in life? And, of course, it really rears its ugly head when we start talking about generosity and finances and money. The Ten Commandments, as we know, forbid it. It's kind of like it's a possessive jealousy. It's kind of like, ah, I want it. It's not mine, but I want it. You can think of a lot of sins that you see how this affects them. Hmm. It is a sin of the heart that leads to many other sins, like stealing and adultery. It's not mine. I want it and I get it. Well, what is that? Stealing. I see her or him. 
I want them leads to adultery. They're not yours to have. So let me give you some examples of this or consequences. This modern day things, see if you can see how this is pervasive and is a problem. First of all, scams. Have you ever heard of scams? I just read uh, in Albuquerque, I think in the last few weeks, somebody lost six figures, a senior citizen, to a scam. They had the picture of the guy. I don't know if you saw it. I saw an online article. Okay? Think of how many scams are effective. Why are scams effective? Because people are greedy. Think about it for a minute. Get-rich schemes should never work, but they're prevalent. Prosperity gospel should not be preached and books on it, but it works. Why? Because people are greedy. Pyramid schemes should never work, but they do. Why? Because people are greedy and they're coveting. The only reason these things are successful is because so many people are greedy why are they greedy? I'm not, I'm not bashing them, but think about it. The reason why we are and others are greedy is because we tend to think life is defined by what we have. Did you get that over here? We think life is defined by what we have. Wait a minute. You guys thought you were off the hook. Life is defined by what we have. Come on. I've done it before. I know you've done it before. You finally got whatever it is, and you go, ah, I've arrived. Really? So that's an example. How about this one? This one some people get fired up with me about, but I don't, I, I don't care. The lottery. It's exhibit A for me. You think about it. The people who play the lottery. If you play the lottery, you're putting down, I don't even know what it costs. I just see people in front of me in the convenience store. You're putting down whatever to get something that's not yours. Well, if I went, no. Do you know how regressive the lottery is? Poverty-stricken people play it all the time. Where do you think the money comes from if you won the lottery? From people who gave up their money and they shouldn't. Rich people don't often play the lottery. Duh. Poor people do. It's regressive. And I want you to think about the definition of coveting. Wanting what doesn't belong to you. So this is not a major point of the sermon, but I want you to hear it from me. When you go and play the lottery, you, in essence, are wanting something that doesn't belong to you. That money does not belong to you. You have not earned it. You did not work for it, et cetera, et cetera. All right. I feel good. Whew, let's move on. That's another example. Okay, how about this one? This one blew me away. I did research on it. Did you know one of the fastest growing businesses in the United States of America storage businesses some of us should have taken the little bit of land we had and built storage units right are some of y'all brewing the day maybe we had apartments maybe we had this or that maybe we did or bought that home or whatever we should have built storage units why it's one of the fastest growing businesses in the country try to get a big storage unit right now in albuquerque and see if it's difficult and see what it costs you why? Because people gather stuff. People covet. People even hoard. And they have to buy more space in order to continue coveting and acquiring. Come on, can we be honest? Right now, uh, Lynn, we're going through her uncle's estate and all that. He passed away. Listen, can I give you an, uh, an advice? Give it away now. <laughs> Don't wait till after the funeral. It is amazing what can come out of a storage unit. Okay? It's just another example, all right? Why do we need to buy more space? Because we keep acquiring. We keep thinking life is about what we possess. Maybe even we're coveting. Well, why worry about this greed, Jesus? Why? Well, Jesus gives the answer in the principle. Let's finish off verse 15. Watch out, be on guard against all green, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. That principle is countercultural to our American way of life, to the American dream, even, even to the American church today. Now, let me stop here because some of y'all are you're going off on a tangent saying, well, he said I shouldn't do this or that. Hold on. I am not saying, Jesus is not saying 
you can't take care of your needs. It does, that's not in the principle. It's not saying, yes, you should take care of your basic needs. Jesus is not saying, hey, don't take care of what you have. Listen, you should take care of what you have. You should take care of your house. Everything we do is as unto the Lord, right? We ought to clean up our house as, as a Christian as, as just as good as anyone on the block. We should take care of it. We should take care of our cars. You've seen my truck. I try to keep it shiny. We should. That's good stewardship, managing what God has given us, right? We take care of it, our clothes, etc. It's good stewardship. So Jesus is not saying these things. Of course we should. He simply and clearly affirms that we will not make life richer by acquiring more of these things. Teenagers, kids, let me tell you right now, collegiates, young adults, listen. Life will not be richer by you just acquiring this, this, and this. Well, but Lamar, you don't, I don't have very much yet. I understand that. And you may acquire some things, but it won't make life richer. Even the great theologian Mark Twain knew what was going on here. He understood this principle. See if you catch this. You got to listen. Turn your ear on. Civilization is a limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. Now, you think about that for a minute. So we get to the point then where Jesus proceeds to share the parable and teach them. And it's very simple. It's very direct. As we look at this parable, let us ask God to reveal the dangers that lurk in the covetous heart. Let's just ask the question here as we look at the parable. Are we similar? Are we like in any way this landowner? So the landowner, landowner that's hard to say, the landowner's Dilemma is what we find. This is point number two. Don't worry, point one was long. The others are short. Point number two is this. He's got a dilemma. Look at verses 16 and 17. Hmm, didn't, didn't Jesus told them a parable? A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? His dilemma is one that some of you are like, I wish I had this dilemma. He had too much wealth. Some of y'all are like, okay, that's not me. I understand that. But this is what the story is. Why? His land had overproduced. Wouldn't that be nice? Now, that doesn't happen in New Mexico very often, does it? Although we praise the Lord down south when the green chili crops overproduce. Amen? They come in cheaper and we roast them and all that kind of stuff. But his land overproduced. And he has to figure out, he has to figure out, here's his dilemma. What am I going to do with the extra crops? Now, notice it says he thought to himself, that's a big mistake. He was reasoning with himself. That is always a dangerous practice to do. Self, and you begin to have the conversation. That never goes very well. Now, you may think, I, I, I don't have that. But who knows, someday you may receive a windfall. Someday you may receive a bumper crop. Someday you may receive an inheritance. What are we to do with it? Now, I want you to note something. He was thinking to himself. But then Jesus makes it very clear that he is a what kind of man? Did you catch it? What's it say? A rich man. This is not a guy who's poor and really needs it. He's already got more than he can say grace over. He doesn't need more, but there it is. Now, of course, there are great perils to poverty. Isn't that right? We have benevolence fund. We try to help people. We, we, we give. We come around, put our arm around someone, help them out. We do this church. We're good at that. We do it all the time because there, there's perils to poverty but did you know there's perils to prosperity the Bible talks a number of times to the rich to the wealthy and here Jesus is teaching okay there's perils to prosperity let me share with you Proverbs chapter 30 you might want to write it down Proverbs 37 through 9 two things I ask of you don't deny them to me before I die Keep fal falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, listen to this. What you think about prosperity? I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. Do you see how it goes either way, either extreme? Yes. 
In fact, we know, Matthew chapter 13, in the parable of the sower and the seed, sometimes we're trying to figure that out, but when it comes to what chokes out the word, the seed that's being spared, it's very clear in Matthew 13. It says it's the seduction of wealth. The seduction of wealth that chokes out the word. Man, I have seen it. Have you seen it? I don't know how many times I've seen it. Someone who's so talented, so close to following Jesus, and they just can't get past it because of their stuff, because of what they're acquiring, because of the next school they're going to, because of the business they're creating, the deal they're working at. It chokes out the word. In 1 Timothy 6, we see that wealth can snare people, can bring extra temptation to people, and can give a false sense of security. Actually, I want to be straight up with you today. People say money doesn't satisfy. Money does satisfy if you're willing to live on that level that money provides. So money does satisfy if that's the level you're looking for. But if you're looking for God's level, if you're looking to see the things that money cannot buy, that's the abundant life. So he has a dilemma. Verse 18, we see the landowner now has a decision. And he comes to a decision. And it might appear to be shrewd business to some of us. Let's look at it. Verse 18, he says this. I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Do you see his decision? His decision has no thought of other people. His decision has no thought of God. Jesus teaches this is selfishness. Well, Lamar, it doesn't say that. Look at how Jesus, every word is important, how Jesus taught in this parable. If you'll count it up, you'll find about 11 personal pronouns dealing with the man that Jesus uses. I, me, all those kind of things, over and over and over. It's about self, self, self. And we know that we just read it a minute ago that later on he's called a fool. It is clear that Jesus does not endorse the world's philosophy of take care of number one. Now, what's interesting is even when the sermon's done, I keep looking at it and keep studying, and I found something. I haven't researched this yet, but one commentator said this. He didn't add another barn. He wanted to tear it down and build bigger. And that guy's thought was because he didn't want to give up any of that land that was overproducing. Now, I don't know if that's true, but man, I went, oh, wow. He's like greedy upon greedy. Now, let me share one other thing with you. Before anyone thinks I am espousing reverse greed, I have heard people teach reverse greed. Do you know what reverse greed is? It is the idea of abhorring possessions. That, Jesus is not teaching that. I'm not speaking to that. I'm not saying, hey, sell all your possessions. We're going to go up to Sandia Peak, and we're going to just uh, pool everything together, and we're going to wait till Jesus comes back. On December 11th, 2023. No, that, that's not going to happen, right? Don't, that's not what I'm saying. So reverse greed is the teaching that we would abhor possessions. No, possessions are neutral. Depends on what we're doing with them, okay? Uh, the, the idea of reverse greed is as if the possession was evil in itself. I'm not saying that. But let us notice scripture. We're to have good business practices, we know, according to Scripture, we're even to save for the future. You aware of that? I'm not saying liquidate all of your CDs or savings. But listen to 1 Timothy 5.8. This goes against that reverse greed. If anyone does not provide for his own, his family, that is his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You want to be worse than an unbeliever? Well, then just back away from all this and do reverse greed. No, we're to work, we're to provide, we're to do these things, okay? But let me share one other thing with you. We're also not to waste surplus. Jesus is not saying here he should have wasted the surplus. And I'm not saying that at all today. Do you remember the feeding of the 5,000? You can find it in the Gospels. I'm referring to the Gospel of John. The 5,000 men plus all their families. You remember that great miracle that Jesus did? Jesus instructs his disciples after everyone, the scripture says, was full. John 6, 12, he says to the disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. 
So we are to be good stewards, to be good managers. We should be smart, and we should be generous. So that's the decision. Notice the landowner's decision reveals his desire. The same is true of us. Look at verse 19, and we see his desire. He says in verse 19, more personal pronouns, Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. He continues to reason with himself instead of seeking God's counsel and God's wisdom. And I see two strong desires noted in Jesus' parable here. The first desire is this. I think I have it in your sermon notes. Uh, satisfaction and security. Satisfaction and security. It's as if he's having a conversation with himself. Hey, I got a lot of stuff. I've stored them up. I have a plan. I am satisfied. In fact, I think I got the rest of my years figured out. Good job, buddy. Satisfaction, security. Let me ask you this question. Do any of your possessions cause you to be this way? The second desire I see is the desire for successful living. Man, go to a bookstore. If, are there bookstores anymore? I think there are. Right? And look at successful living books. They're all over the place. And it's as if he's saying, as a result of my plan and my stuff, let me now take it easy. That's interesting. That phrase, take it easy, means to take one's rest, to cease. That's a pretty strong word. I'll live for myself. No worries about anybody else. I'll eat what I want. I'll drink what I want. And I'll live the good life. I will relax. Now, there's three verbs there that Jesus uses. The three verbs used here, they all symbolize something. They all show us carefree and luxurious living. This is not meeting needs. This is a carefree living, a luxurious living. They imply and show leisure, even beyond leisure. Not saying you can't take a vacation, but to self-indulgence. Well, what are all those things? Products of greed. To eat and drink in the context of enjoying yourself, being merry or merriment, that means to feast. And here we see he's, he's going to feast. He's got it planned out, right? Successful living. My enjoyment. Nobody else. So I'd ask you this question. Do your possessions cause you to think this way at all like this guy? Let me remind you of the best sermon ever. We looked at this in Matthew 6, but I want to read a few scriptures. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be, right? You know that. And then in a few verses later, Matthew 6, 24, no one can be the slave of two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. And then the kicker is there. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. So I ask, what's your desire? We see what his desire is. And it leads us to verse 20 and 21, to the landowner's death. Jesus drops the hammer. Have you ever had anybody drop the hammer on you? It's pretty clear, isn't it? He drops the hammer. God now steps into the picture of this parable. Do you see it? But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Why was this man a fool? Why would God call this man a fool? Here's the reason. The rich man did not include God in his plans. He thought that his future, the future was in his control. He had no need for God. He's not praying over these decisions. He's not seeking the wisdom of God. He's just doing his own thing. It was foolish to think that he could nourish himself only on what he's eating and drinking and what is making him merry. He had no thought for those who were in need. Well, Lamar, you don't know about this guy. Yes, I do. 
This is a story, a parable. Jesus has it just how he wants it. We don't need extra material on it. This is what Jesus is teaching. You see, before we know it, it's clear in other places in Scripture, God will call us all to the judgment seat. Are you aware of that? Whether you die today or not for years or whatever, no matter how it works out, no matter your view of eschatology, no matter your system, guess what? We get to go before God in eternity. Are you aware of that? He will require our souls of us, and we will give an account for how we live. Now, I don't know how that's all going to work out, but it's going to be something, right? We have to give something. We have to give an account of how we live. And the people who define life by what they possessed, they define life by what they just enjoyed, they're going to be like this guy. They're going to be called fools. It is foolish, first of all, to think our lives will not end. Even if you're young today, don't assume that. Don't put it off. Some of you put it off. I'll, I'll get serious with God. I'll, I'll consider uh, forgiveness. I'll consider repentance. I'll consider uh, God, you know, having a relationship with God. Listen, don't put it off. It's foolish to think our lives will not end. And it's also foolish to think our lives are defined by what we possess. There is a way to be rich toward ourselves. There's a way to be stingy toward God. And God calls it foolish. God calls it greed. God calls it covetousness. Listen to Matthew 16, verse 26. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? Those are rhetorical questions. The answer is clear and is there. I want you to to really think about that. And then Jesus comes back and says, verse 21, that's how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I need to share something, something that bothers me, that occasionally keeps me up at night, and it's not just our church. But do you know in the year 2023, most churches are at minimum behind their budget? Are you aware of that? Most churches are including Hoffmantown. We're behind budget. Not only that, that bothers me, but there are, it, it, even worse, some churches are struggling greatly financially. And I just want to say something to you, church, in, not just our church, but other churches. It should not be so. We've already taught on tithing and offerings. If everyone in this church tithed, We'd probably have double the budget. I'm not kidding you. If everyone was even a regular giver, we would not have these issues. Now, I'm not saying, oh, we're in trouble, the sky is falling. No, we're okay. But we're behind. But I think of some of those churches who have been placed in the zip code that God's placed them in, and the people of God are not taking their production, their crops, their whatever God has given them, and being generous. And it starts in the local church. And then it moves out to other ministries that we care about. Our church does that. Part of our budget includes a lot of other ministries. You're aware of that, aren't you? Yeah. So I, that's just something that bothered me. Maybe that's why the Lord led me to this passage. I'm not sure. But I would say this as we get ready to close. Instead of us building bigger barns, Instead of us, I mean as a church, but I also mean as families and individuals, instead of us acquiring more possessions, instead of us adding more storage units, can I go ahead and say that? Let's do what Jesus talks about. Let's be rich toward God. So I hope you haven't put your pen down yet. I'm going to tell you what that means to be rich toward God, and then we'll be done. What is being rich towards God? It is being rich in spiritual things or things that please God. You want to be rich toward God? Focus on the spiritual, not the material. Secondly, it refers to living in fellowship with God and serving Him. You want to be rich toward God? Fellowship with God. Spend time with Him in His Word. Serve Him. Don't be on the sidelines. What does it mean to be rich toward God? It means laying up treasure in heaven, not on earth. What does that mean? Doing what really counts in all ways in God's sight. 
This man stored up treasure for himself. He did not store up what really counted in God's sight. The riches that please the man are contrasted with the riches that please God. So in summary, being rich toward God means living to glorify God. Oh, I glorify God in my praise. Okay. How about in my pocketbook? How about in my prayer life? How about you fill in the blank? Okay. Glorify God. Investing. Have you considered this, church? And I know many of you have. But don't go like this. Okay. Investing our earthly assets into things that make an eternal difference. That's what God, that's what God wants our heart. Okay. So remember, this is a parable. Jesus is teaching this once and for all principle. And I would just say this. Can Lamar give a summary? Don't be that guy. I'm, I'm just telling you. I've done it before. Don't be that guy. You see, wealth is not a permanent possession. Somebody else gets it. Did you know that? Somebody else is going to get your wealth. Look at the parable. His life was required that very night, right? He didn't get to take anything with him. He left every penny behind, every barn behind, and what was in it. And it said in there, it wasn't just the crops, but it was also his stuff. He took nothing with him. Someday you will die, and you will take nothing with you. Now, maybe you have an estate. Maybe you have a will. I hope you have a will. Don't let the government take it. Maybe you have an inheritance. What are you going to do with that? Listen, we have talked and talked. I have heard many of you talk about the choices that your children have made. Why in the world would you leave it all to them when they're making those choices? You're going to die, they're going to take your estate, and they're going to squander it perhaps on certain things. Why wouldn't we at least give a portion of it now, or at least in the will, to go towards something that would be eternal? Whether it's our church, or whether it's a ministry, maybe a church camp, we could go on and on, all different things. It's just a little bit, Lamar, I know, but it adds up when people are doing that. We need to have a, a Christian wills and trusts and a state conference so we can realize God gave us all that and we should be giving it now to eternal things and even when we're gone, we should give it to eternal things. I did not say you shouldn't give anything to your kids, but I've heard your heart and if your kids are making these choices, why all of a sudden when they get your money and possessions when you're gone, are they all of a sudden going to make the right choices? So if you're a kid in here... I didn't mean it that way. If your mom and dad are sitting here, I don't know anything about all that, but I just want you to think about that. Why not give some of it away? Lynn and I were blessed this week to give away just a little bit to a couple different things this week that I believe are going to have eternal consequences. The area of adoption, how important is that? Okay. Missions around the world and locally. There's always these opportunities. Can we leverage ourselves to where we can help and give to eternal things? Here's the, if we wrote on the tombstone of this guy, it would be this. He lived without God, and he died without God. Do you see that? So what does the gospel say? The good news, God's rescue plan, you do not have to live without God. You do not have to die without God. Scripture is clear that we're all sinners. We're going the wrong way. We can repent and turn and come to God and say, not my way anymore, God. I give my way, my life to you. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you come into my life? Would you transform it? Would you save me? Would you take it over? Would you become my savior? Would you be my Lord, the one who's the controller, the boss, the master of my life? I believe that you can do that. Thank you for giving me the faith to even step towards you. Save me. The gospel, we can do that. Listen, today you don't have to live without God. And you sure don't have to die without God. And you don't want to die without God. I love Warren Wiersbe. Here's his quote. Wealth can be enjoyed and employed. See how he did that? Wealth can be enjoyed and employed at the same time, if our purpose is to honor God, may we do that. May we not break the Tenth Commandment. Would you pray with me? I'm going to pray differently today. We're not going to stand. We're not going to come forward. If you want to talk about the gospel and giving your life to Christ, we're going to 
we can do that after the service. There's many of us that can talk to you. But right now, I just want our response time to be this way. Would you just spend a moment with the Lord and say, Lord, how am I doing? Is there something lurking somewhere in my life that I need to give over to you? Lord, have I been greedy? Change me, Lord. Lord, am I coveting something? Change me. Lord, am I investing in eternal things? Help me, Lord. Would you just spend a moment with the Lord today? I know it's a hard sermon, but God is speaking right now to all of us. How would he customize his word to you today? God, we ask that you hear the prayers of your people right now, Lord. God, I ask that you answer their prayers. Thank you for your word and how it speaks to us, how it is relevant right now in our lives, even this morning. May we not be blinded by stuff where we miss out seeing the abundant life that you offer. God, thank you for your grace and mercy and love and how you give to us. We're reminded that even salvation, your rescue plan, is something that you gave that you're generous with. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him not perish but have eternal life. Thank you, God, for that example and for what you do. God, help to align me and my family and all the people of Hoppintown align with what you want to do in our life. And God, I thank you so much for the people here that are, are generous, that are giving, that are investing in eternity. So thank you, Lord, for this time together. In your name, I pray. Amen.